As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for stopping by here in these episodes of Raising Daughters. As a developmental and behavioral pediatrician, I, I counsel girls, primarily girls in middle school, high school, and college age. And I have been working in schools with classrooms of girls. I've been running weekend retreats and summer camps for girls for 31 years. And one of the problems I see with parents and their daughters, and this is, this is true for sons as well, has to do with the whole concept of letting go. That's what I want to talk about today. Let me start with a quick, with a quick story as I like to do. And this story involves the egg of an eagle that somehow found its way into the corner of a barn where a hen was hatching her own little chicken eggs. Well, soon the baby eaglet was hatched right along with the other chickens. And as time passed, this little eaglet began to experience a longing to fly. So she would ask her mother, the hen, when can I learn to fly? Well, not yet. I'll teach you someday when you're ready. Well, months passed and more months passed and the young eagle began to suspect that its mother did not know how to fly. But she could not get herself to break loose and fly on her own because her keen longing to fly had become confused with the gratitude that she felt towards the bird that had hatched her. It's not easy to let go. This was brought home to me with my daughter, our oldest child, about, oh gosh, 15 or so years ago when she went off to college. I remember going to her orientation. This was like a couple months before school started, like in the summer before her first year in college. And we, my wife and I drove down to the university with her, and there was this program, and they were talking to everybody together, uh, parents and the, and the young adults. And then uh, at, at one point, the, the dean of students... Uh, told the kids to go ahead and go go out. They were going to take them down the hallway and they were going to sign up for their classes for the first semester. And the parents all stayed. I'll never forget this. The dean of students told the parents, look, your kids are 18 years of age now. Some of them are even older than that. He said, this is the time to let go. This is the time to start letting go. In just a moment, you're going to go down the hallway and your, and your son or daughter is going to be uh, signing up for their classes for first semester. So they're in a room, they're in these different rooms, depending upon their, 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 um, their major. And we don't want you going in the rooms. We want them to do this on their own. This is a time to start letting go. And I'll never forget, we walked down the hallway, just like you said, there's all these rooms. And there was even like a, a, 
an adult standing at the doorway to keep parents out. And parents were arguing and some of them were yelling. They demanded to go into that room. Some of these young kids came, young kids, these young adults came out crying because they didn't know how to sign up for their classes. It was, it was a mess. And I remember thinking to myself, if this is when you're going to start letting go, your kids are screwed because you have not prepared them to go off into the world and to launch on their own. Letting go to me is a process and it starts when your kids are infants. I'm going to talk to you uh, in this podcast about the letting go process. I have some stories for you too to bring the point home. And I think it's important that this is the time of year right now when, when graduations are coming up, high school graduations are coming up, um, maybe even college graduations. So it's a time when it is time for our kids to launch, our young adults to launch. When those times come, I think a lot of parents start to question themselves. They ask themselves questions like, have I done enough to prepare my daughter? Have I pre prepared her well enough to go out into the world and to go to college? What will our relationship look like when they come back, when they come back on breaks, when they come back uh, to visit? Are we going to stay close? And can I still remain an influence in their life? It's really hard to let go of control. And I think a lot of parents will ask themselves questions like, can I do it? Who am I without my kids? What is my purpose now? Especially if it's the last one, the youngest one. And so I think those kinds of questions bring lots of fear with them. And unfortunately, sometimes we transmit that fear to our young adults. I've talked about the concept before of touch points. I even did a podcast about it a while back. Touch points is a concept I learned from my old mentor, Dr. T. Barry Braselton, a long time ago. Meaning there are times in our kids' lives, and this is true for adults too, by the way, there are times in our lives when we're about to undergo a big transformation, a big change, a big leap in development. And just prior to those leaps in development, people tend to fall apart. They get crabby, moody, out of sorts. It's like they have one foot in the past, one foot in the future. I want to grow up and I don't. And out of all that ambivalence comes mayhem. Crabby, angry, frustrated, out of sorts, emotional. Think about the terrible twos. Think about all the fears that um, come, come out for a lot of kids around the age of five or six. I want to grow up and I don't is what some kids even would say to their parents. Think about middle school girls. Bodies are changing, puberty, friendships are changing. They start to question things. Think about high school seniors ready to go off into the world. By the way, I skipped the one which is entering high school. That goes, comes before high school seniors. High school seniors especially, this is, that's a huge touch point. Uh, I think also um, college seniors before they go out into the world. I think the months before people get married is a touch point, and a lot of times you'll see more fighting and arguing amongst people. I think before the first kid comes, the whole nesting stage is a touch point. I think for parents, the empty nest is one. For women, menopause is one. I think when our parents pass away is a touch point for us. All along the way, midlife crisis is another example. All along the way, there are points in our lives when we're in transition, and there's going to be a switch and a change. And those are the toughest times, I think, for parents to let go because their kids look out of sorts. They may look unhappy. They may look like they're struggling because they are. They're struggling because they need to struggle in order to gain the confidence and the energy to push forward and make that leap in development.
So it's our job to support that process and not to get too plugged in. I saw a mom that not too long ago whose daughter uh, was, was in college. It was the first semester, and she was struggling a little bit because most people the first semester have some challenges, some struggles, right? Because they have to make new friends and create their own new support system. The classes are different than high school, all that whole process, being away from home, living in a dorm, etc. And so when this girl called home, kind of like frustrated one time because her roommates, her roommate wasn't being nice to her and just, just struggling with the classes, her mom, every time her daughter would, would say stuff like that, her mom would say, well, you can come home if you want. Do you think you need to come home? And this girl would get frustrated with that because she's like, that's not what I want to hear from you. Because that makes it too easy for me to give up and come home. What I need from you at that point is to say, you got this. I believe in you. Part of the letting go process, by the way, is to be aware that all the way through our kids' lives, they're learning through this kind of connect-disconnect process. It starts when they're infants. I have, a, I have a five-month-old grandson, and when I'm holding him and he's looking in my, in my face, um, he'll look in my eyes for just a little short period of time, and then he looks away. And so I have learned, sort of just from experience, to look away at the same time. And then he kind of comes back to me, and I come back to him. And so we have to develop, just like he has to do this with his mom and his dad, this beautiful reciprocal interaction where we, we uh, connect and then we have to disconnect because he needs a little bit of a break. And oftentimes, it's the baby just as much as the parent who initiates that connection. And that initial reciprocal interaction, that back and forth, give and take with, with an infant is going to set the tone and is going to be the template for the, our relationship with them for the rest of their lives. It's about honoring their need. They're ready to look and then they get overwhelmed. So we, we pull back. We alternate who's leading. Sometimes they lead, sometimes we do. And that's going to be a process that's going to continue for the rest of your parenting life. Sometimes you'll lead, sometimes your kid needs to lead. Back and forth, back and forth. It's kind of like that whole concept of, of having a, a, a home base. Think about your toddler when, you're, when your daughter was younger. And you go to a family party. And they get kind of anxious, and so they kind of grab onto your leg. You know, that's a separation anxiety. And so if you're calm and cool, after a little bit, most kids warm up a little bit, enough to kind of go off away from you and explore. And then they'll come back looking a little anxious, and if you're nice and calm and say it's okay, then they, they calm down, then they go back out into the world. They're there for, to come back to their parents for comfort, for, for grounding. And if we are calm and our body language and our tone of voice and our words conveys to them, you're okay. You can do this. I believe in you. It gives them the comfort and the safety and the encouragement and the courage to then go back out in the world. And you've te you're teaching them that the world is a safe place to explore. And if you need me, I'm here. I'm this constant, always there home base for you. And that also persists all the way through childhood. If you want to remain an influence in your daughter's life when they are 14, 16, 18, 22, 28, whatever, it's really important that you have a solid, strong, 
trusting, safe relationship. Your goodwill account, if you will, needs to be full. I talked to you previously in another podcast about how to make deposits into the goodwill account by being respectful, listening, giving them power, etc. If you have a full goodwill account, then you've become a safe, warm, nurturing, trustworthy home base. And so they will come back even when they're 18, 20, 26, whatever. But the goodwill account needs to be full for them to see you as that safe home base. Think about that connect-disconnect thing. Uh, think about when your kids at some point, maybe when they were five or seven or, or eight or ten, when they didn't want you to walk them down to the bus stop anymore. They didn't want you to walk them into class. They wanted to do it on their own. Think about when they started to spend a little bit more time down the street with their friends, maybe having sleepovers. And then they get to be 16, they can drive, and then they go further from home. Think about when they go into 7th, 8th, ninth grade and beyond, where you start to know less and less about their friends because their worlds open up and we're not privy to every little moment of their lives like we did when they were in first grade. In first, second grade, we go to their soccer games and we sit with the other parents. We know the other parents. We know the kids. And they come to our house for a barbecue afterwards. You, you kind of know their world. But when they get to be you know, 14, 16, 18, you start losing that. And that's normal. That's part of the letting go process. You know less and less about their friends. They spend more time alone in their bedrooms, talking on their phones, going through social media apps and things. They have a much greater need for some private life, especially when it comes to dating relationships for many kids. It doesn't mean they don't need you. They definitely need you. They need your influence. And it looks different. It's a back and forth, a connect-disconnect as long as you're aware of that and you trust it you're, and you're the home base that's safe, they will come to you when they need something. Not just things, but when they need some emotional support. I also want you to think about that lifelong process as looking back through their lives at all the places where you have let go already. For instance, one of the first times in their lives when they become more independent is sleeping through the night. In order for a baby to sleep through the night, they have to go to sleep where they, when they go down into that deepest uh, sleep stage of the night. And after three or four hours, they cycle up into a light sleep. And then their job is to put themselves back down into a deeper sleep by fussing, by, by sucking in their thumb or, or chewing on their hand. They have to find their way to calm themselves down. That does not involve you picking them up and rocking them, etc. That's letting go. That's part of the process of, of letting them Learn how to self-soothe and self-quiet. At some point when they're toddlers, you teach them how to feed themselves and dress themselves and pick out their clothes. You start letting go of, a, of an overpowering kind of model. I, I remember when our youngest son, John, was, was about, oh, probably 15 months, and he was a very early talker. He talked full sentences when he was like 15 months. And I remember when he was around that age, 15 months, 18 months, he started to, to fight us with his diaper in the morning. He'd wake up, his diaper would be soaked from the night. And, you know, we said, you know, we need to, you know, clean, uh, change your diaper, then we'll go down for breakfast. And he would throw a fit and he'd stomp around. I don't want you, you know, to change my diaper. So instead of overpowering him and having one of us hold him down and the other one try and change the diaper, what we would say to him is, we're not willing to fight you. As soon as you're ready to get your diaper changed, then we'll go down for breakfast. And then we would zip our lips and walk out. 
And I'll never forget there were several times when we did that where he would like really flip out. He would stomp around. He would like throw himself into the into the wall almost. But you, but amazingly, after just a few minutes when he didn't get an audience, amazingly, he would walk into our bedroom with a diaper in his hand. I swear to God, this is true. With a diaper in his hand. And I remember one time he said, I'm ready now. So letting go of that having to control overpower kids to get them to do what you want, that's a process that you start letting go over time. You learn when, you, when your kids have those fears that are normal around five, six or so, to, to teach them how to handle their own fears. Because they need that to become independent. They need to know how to start taking care of themselves. You let go by letting them speak for themselves, asking for what they want. We used to run those weekly family meetings, which you've heard me talk about probably ad nauseum. But in those meetings once a week, our kids could ask for things, advocate for themselves. We would listen. We would negotiate. We would create win-win solutions. That's a very important process for them to start learning how to speak up, tell people how they feel, what they want. Going out to restaurants, letting your kids order for themselves, to talk to other adults and say, I want this or that. Slowly but surely, you start letting go and letting them speak up. It might be they're having a problem with the teacher or a problem with the coach. You allow them to confront that teacher or coach and to work things out on their own. Maybe you're there if they're in grade school and you just sit in the back of the classroom, but you let them have those chances to advocate. So they start gaining the confidence that says, I can make things happen. I can take care of myself. So that it doesn't start when they're 18 and walking onto campus. It started when they were a little kid. Solving their problems with their siblings. You start turning that over. You teach them how to resolve conflicts peacefully. And then you, you work yourself out of the job of being the judge, the juror, the executioner, the police officer who has to stop your kids. They have to learn how to do that themselves. Same thing with their friends. I was talking to a mom and her daughter who was in about 7th or 8th grade oh, a few weeks ago. And uh, this girl had been good friends with this, with this other girl. Who, and the parents were also friends. And then the, the girl, uh, the other girl, got a boyfriend, quote unquote, in, in seventh grade. And so she started to ignore this girl. And she was also saying things about her to other girls, talking about her behind her back. And this girl finally got tired of it. So she started to, to not, not talk to her, not invite her to do things. And she tried to talk to her parents about that, but her parents immediately, especially her mom, jumped in and said, well, she's been your friend since, since you guys were three. And you know, I think you should call her. I think you should work it out. And what she didn't know was this girl had tried to do that. The mom had, didn't have an idea about the whole context of everything. Just like if sometimes you look at, at one text or one, one Instagram post, and then you think you know everything about what's happening, and we don't. So a, that's another way to let go, which is you let them solve their own problems with people like coaches, teachers, and our friends. Hopefully, you've been letting go all along the way and giving your kids more choices, more say-so, more control. And you don't give them choices when they're five that are kind of adult level. You give them choices that are age-appropriate, that they can handle. But giving them that kind of say-so, choice, leadership, opportunities to be in more and control their lives, if you've been doing that starting when they were infants and toddlers, and you've been doing it all along the way for 18 years, when they go off into the world, however they go off into the world when they're 18, they're ready. 
you start shifting out of this sort of rules and punishment model into more of a let's make agreements together and I'll hold you accountable to whatever we decide together. It's less top down, more treating them like more, an equal, quote unquote. Now, of course, when they're 6, 8, 10, 12, they're not equal in the sense of you have the final say. But within that circle of, of I have the final say, there's a lot of places where they can ask for things and they can negotiate and there can be some back and forth, give and take. Start that when they're young and then they're ready to make up their own choices and take care of themselves when they get, become older. Early on in grade school, when they first start, I think it's important to let go of who's responsible for their homework, their schoolwork, their school life. It's them, not you. So you don't get over-involved. You don't micromanage because if you do, they, they, they keep looking to you to solve problems and to push them and to motivate them. And it's not your job. It's their responsibility. That's a place where you've been letting go, I hope. And if not, start today. Other places, things like uh, their hygiene, their grooming, um, t uh, taking care of their bedroom, letting them kind of, in a sense, with other than extremes, create their own bedroom space. It may not be quite as clean and orderly as you would have it, but you know, when they're 12, 14, 16, 18, I think that's another place we can let go. I remember when our kids turned about 10 or 11, we stopped doing their laundry. Because we thought, why are we doing this laundry like a monkey could learn how to do it, right? You just put it in, you put the soap in, and click some buttons, and, blah, 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 and then 45 minutes later, it's done. So that was the place we could let go so that if they came to us and said, I can't find my shirt, we would be like, I don't know. What will you do? As opposed to doing it for them. There are a lot of 18-year-olds who go off to college who have never done their laundry and never uh, never had a checking account, did, have never had a savings account, have never taken care of their own money. We haven't prepared them through having things like allowance and, and teaching them about what they're going to be responsible to pay for all along the way. Hopefully you've been letting go along the way by letting them handle their own frustrations. If they, may, if they make a mistake, let them... Let them make the mistake, let them fail sometimes, and let them recover, figure it out, and learn from their mistake. Because if they do that, they will enter college, they'll enter adulthood with a lot more hope and confidence and optimism because they know that if challenges and obstacles come their way, they know that they can overcome it because they have, because you've allowed them to all along the way. You allow them, you encourage them to take risks and to challenge themselves. You start letting go of freedom all along the way. You don't give them the whole, whole basket just one day. Slowly but surely, their behavior hopefully will teach you that they're ready for trying the next step. And if they handle that next step, then they've taught you they're ready for the next step. Another place to let go is letting go of our teacher role. I remember this, this came home to me, oh, years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago. I remember we were having a staff meeting with all of our camp staff before one of the camp weeks. And we were talking about um, some kind of, I don't know what we were talking about. We were having some brainstorming process. But I remember um, we asked the group, is there anything everybody needs to clean up or clear up before the camp week starts? Because when the kids come, we want to be like a team and working together with none of this, with no drama, no smoldering things. 
And a couple of the young staff who were like 18, 19, 20, they, they asked me to handle something. And so there were like four of us got into the middle of our staff circle. And what they said to me was, we feel like you give us a lot of responsibility. You give us lots of places to be a leader. And sometimes it feels like you still see us as an eight-year-old camper. And even though they said it's kind of both things, we we feel very empowered. But on the other hand, sometimes we still have that sense. And I think they were right. I don't think. I know they were right. It was hard for me sometimes not to see them as that little kid. Because some of these these counselors have been with us for eight, ten years or so. And so I own that. And I let them know I would work really hard at not doing that. And if they saw me or felt like I was doing that to bring it to my attention, to bring it to my awareness, and I would switch it. And my guess is that happens to you sometimes as well. You may have a daughter who's 15, 17, 20, who's very competent, but sometimes you still see them as a kid, and you still treat them as a kid instead of seeing them in a higher higher light. I teach girls that all along the way, they're responsible for teaching their parents how to support them at each stage because it changes. How, how you want your parents to support you when you're 10 is different than when you're 16 or 18 and going off to college. So their job is, and their responsibility is to teach you how to support them. Your job is to listen and to let go in places where it's not being supportive anymore. Sometimes what felt supportive when they were 10 feels annoying and intrusive when they're 16. I, um, I also have learned with working with teenagers for a long, long time that before I give any feedback or advice, I ask their permission. I'll say, can I give you some feedback about that? And if they give me kind of like a, yeah, fine, I say, oh, I don't have to. I mean, do you want me to give you some, some, some thoughts? I mean, I have an idea, a suggestion for you. And they say, okay. I'll say, are you sure? And if they say yes, then I give it. And that may sound anal to you or something like that, but I'm telling you, it shows respect. And they really appreciate that. Because if they're not open to or interested in that moment, in my suggestion or feedback, then it's going to fall on deaf ears. It's going to be frustrating for both of us. So you can start doing that with your kids. Only giving advice when asked. And that means you have to let go of, if they say, no, I'm not open right now, that you have to let go of trying to force the issue and let them come to you in their way and in their time. I heard a story a long time ago about the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright. He remembered a valuable lesson that he learned when he was about nine years of age when he took a walk with his uncle on a, on a snowy day. His uncle was a very successful man, no-nonsense kind of a guy, serious kind of guy. And they had walked through this snow-covered field, and when they got to the end of it, his uncle stopped them and he said, turn around and look back at our two set of tracks in the snow. And he said, notice how your footprints kind of go aimlessly back and forth from the trees over to the right. And then over you look at the cattle on the left. And then over there you're throwing sticks. But notice how my path comes straight across right to my goal. Frank, never forget this lesson. And Frank Lloyd Wright, to his credit, said he never did. He was determined right then and there to never miss out on most things in his life as his uncle had. He wanted to do it his way.
That means you have to let them do it their way. You have to let them have free will to fail so that they can then choose to succeed. You let go because they need to learn their own lessons in their own way, in their own time. And if you allow that, then whatever successes they have become their victories. It's their touchdown dance. That means you also need to let go of that their successes and failures are not a reflection of you. So if they're struggling, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. If they're struggling, it's because they're struggling. Because sometimes you struggle in life. Because if you feel like it's all about you, then it's going to be hard not to jump in and fix and rescue and micromanage. And that's not what they need. We need to slowly but surely turn their life over to them so they become self-motivated and self-reliant and they develop self-efficacy. Let me give you an example. When our son TJ was young, maybe 9, 10, he wanted a, I think it was a Nintendo back in that day. And my wife and I didn't like those things. We thought, thought they were addicting and it was a waste of time, kind of, sort of. So we kind of held off, held off. And finally, he, he sat down and he said, I, I really want one. I, I feel like I, I, I'm ready to have one. And I, I feel like I've earned the right. And so my wife and I said, you know, we're willing to try, but with a couple of stipulations. First, you have to pay for it yourself. We're not willing to pay for it. And at the time, I think those sets were about 150 bucks, which was a lot of money for him at that age. And we said, the second thing is, if you get it, then we're going to need to have a sit down and we're going to talk about agreements and boundaries about how much time, when, what kind of things, what kind of games, etc. And so he agreed with that. It took him, I don't remember, like four, five, six months to earn that money. And he went to the video store, kind of, kind of counting out his little piggy bank money, and he paid for it all by himself. And he was so proud of himself. So that was a good lesson for him that he could create things that he wanted. Fast forward several years. We started telling our kids when they were in middle school, I think, that we were saving money for them for college and that we would have enough money by the time they graduated from high school to pay for a state school room board tuition. And we said, we don't want you to go to a state school. We want you to go to wherever you want, but this is how much we're willing to gift you. So you just need to make decisions based upon that. Well, he, my daughter, who was our oldest child, she decided she was going to be a teacher. And so there was a good state school in Missouri uh, for teachers. And so she thought, well, I'll have it all paid for. And I kind of want to hang out in St. In St. Louis when I retire, not when I retire, when I graduate anyway. So, so she got her college paid for it, room, board, tuition, all the fun stuff, everything else was on her. First son, TJ, decided, I don't want to be going to college in Missouri. He made a circle on the map around the Midwest, and he wanted to go to school outside of that circle. He ended up going to TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. And so our, our, State, you know, tuition, room board, etc., was enough to pay for maybe half of it because it was a private school. He got a decent scholarship, which paid for another part of it, and then he was short, and so he ended up having to work. He worked at the rec center for all all four years, and he paid for it himself. And I remember maybe after the first year or two of college, they they bumped up the tuition. Um, by, I don't know what it was, a thousand bucks or two thousand dollars. And so that was on him, right? And so he walked into the financial aid office all on his own. And he, and he sat down and he said, Look, I, I really love this school. I want to keep coming here. I'm paying for a lot of my college. 
and I have a 4.0 up till now. And he said, but you raised the price, and so I can't afford that, so I, I would like to get more scholarship money. And he got it. Amazing. <laughs> I don't think he would have advocated for himself if we hadn't given him chances to buy his own Nintendo and to, went back when he was in high school, to talk to his hockey coach about getting more playing time. There was lots of little steps along the way where we let go, let him take care of himself. So now he's 20 years of age, and now he's doing what he did in college. So I want you to start allowing your kids to have those opportunities. I think one of our greatest responsibilities as parents is to get out of their way. And it's meaning that each of our kids has their own path, their own destiny. They have to build their own story and their own future. Part of our job of letting go that process is letting go of knowing what we think is best for them. I read a great story years ago from one of my uh, Anthony DeMello books. And it concerned the Sufi saint Shams of Tabriz. And he said he was always considered kind of a misfit as a kid. And his dad told him he wasn't crazy enough to be put into a madhouse, but he didn't know what else to do with him. And so this young man told his father this story. A duck's egg somehow found its way under a hen. And when the egg hatched, the duckling walked around with the mother hen and all the other chicks. One day they walked by a pond and the duckling went straight into the water. Well, the mother hen stayed clucking anxiously on the shore. And Sham said to his father, I have walked into the ocean and I find it my home. You can hardly blame me if you choose to stay on the shore. He had a different path. He had a different outlook. And some of your kids are as well. So part of our job as parents, part of our letting go process is letting go of what we think is best for them and turning over so that they start to know what's best for them. That to me should start in middle school and high school. Allowing them, allowing them to have that switch. It's so important in my experience for them to be self-motivated, to do things for their reasons, to have the autonomy to do that. And part of that is knowing what's best for them knowing how to get quiet, go inward, check in with themselves, check in with their gut, their intuition, their heart, their urges. And along with that, it's important for us in this process to hold the highest vision for them. When, we, when they're young kids, they're like a little acorn, and we're the ones who have to see the oak tree in them. Because sometimes they don't see it in themselves. But if we see who they really are, if we hold a high vision for them, that's important. Sometimes that gets them through the tough times. And part of that process is also, if you can, helping them find mentors. I think a lot of, a lot of us along the way had good mentors. A lot of times we found them on our own. Sometimes they, they came from a family friend or in, in some way we can maybe um, guide them to talk to somebody. But they need mentors. They need safe bases, if you will who will be there for them, who can see more in them than they can see in themselves, to give them feedback, to model for them. Especially if your kids go off in directions, in careers, where we don't really know much about them. They need other people besides us to guide and inspire them. And that means we have to let go of that part and allow them to find other people who can nurture them along the way. So, 
letting go doesn't start when they're 18 and walking on campus to college or going into the army or wherever they're doing when they, when they get out of high school. Letting go starts in infancy and it continues at every stage of their development. And if you start to allow those letting go things, become aware of and start giving more letting go things like we've talked about in this podcast all along the way, it makes it much easier for, for you to let go when they're 18 and going off in the world, when they're ready to launch. It also has allowed them to build the confidence within themselves to take care of themselves, to advocate for themselves, to know what's best for them. It's so important. Remember too, parents, that those touch point feelings I mentioned earlier in the podcast, those are just normal feelings. And it's not just our young people when they go through developmental spurts. It's not just them who have touch point emotions. It's also us. When our kids start to pull away a little bit because they're supposed to, when they start to have more privacy, when they start to spend more time with their friends, when they're going off to school, going off to college, those are also touch points for us. We also have emotions that come up for us. It's a grieving process in a sense because we're, we're quote unquote losing our kids. Now we're really not, but it'll never be the same. When they come back home from college, it won't be the same. It can be lots better, but it's going to be a change. It's a transition. So it's important that all of us also allow ourselves to feel the feelings that come up for us around those times. Some parents feel less valuable. They feel sad. They feel disconnected. They don't, they don't feel very important anymore. It's like they've lost, they lost themselves in a sense. And it's, that's especially true for parents where their whole lives have been around the kids and they didn't nurture their marriage. When that youngest kid goes off and you got an empty nest, parents who haven't been taking care of their marriage will look at each other like, who are you? Because they haven't taken care of themselves and their marriage along the way. It's part of the process. It's for all of us in that transition. So it's, there's a lot of uncertainty when our kids go off into the world. And we have to learn to deal with that. We have to learn to trust that our kids are going to find their way. They're going to find their mentors. They're going to find what they need along the way. Let me finish here this podcast with a, a great metaphor and then some advice from, from 18-year-olds. The metaphor is about sand, like holding sand in your hand. And relationships of all kinds are like sand held in your hand. Held loosely with an open hand, the sand remains where it is. The minute you close your hand and squeeze tightly to hold on, a lot of the sand starts trickling through your fingers. And you may hold on to some of it, but most of it will be spilled. And relationships are like that, including relationships with our children, our adult children. Held loosely with respect and freedom for that, for that child, and the relationship is likely to remain intact. Hold too tight or too passively, and the relationship slips away and it's lost. Great metaphor. It's that back and forth, give and take, connect, disconnect, that hopefully you, you have been experiencing all along the way. And if you haven't, then this is the time. It's never too late. It's also never too late to, to listen to our kids and what they want. And I'm going to close here with some sage advice that I've heard from lots of 18-year-olds. And it goes like this. When they're going off to college, what they oftentimes will say to their parents is, I want you guys, mom and dad, to stay in the same house, 
in the same marriage, have the same career, and want you to stay sitting by the phone for my phone calls, but don't be upset when I don't call, and don't touch my bedroom. <laughs> Letting go is a process. Be aware and start now. Never too late. Never too early and never too late. I will be back here in a week with another podcast. And I appreciate you listening to these. I appreciate when you send feedback. I really appreciate when you pass them on. And I appreciate also that that you're allowing me to be an influence. I want you all to remain an influence in your daughter's lives. I'm glad that you're open to some ideas that may be helpful. Uh, check out all the things that I do on my website at www.drtimjordan.com. I'll see you back here in a week. Thanks so much for stopping by. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.